Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm going to introduce today's cast, and then we're going to get straight into the questions. So first up, we have Ruth Plater from Radial Path, um, a branding and performance marketing organization. Good morning, Ruth. Morning. Next up, we have Neil Henry, who has recently exited from his business, completing a successful business that he's owned for 20 years. So good morning, Neil. Good morning. And last but not least, we have the wonderful Paul Edwards from Edwards Commercial Cleaning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Uh, Well, we're delighted to have you all in the studio today. And what we're going to do, which is what we do with all of our podcasts, is we start by going back in time to the early days to ask you, really get into your brains as how you got into the world of entrepreneurship. So we're going to start with Paul and say, when you were a youngster at school, was there something in you which made you feel different and made you feel like, actually, I want to become an entrepreneur when I'm older. Yeah, I think so. Um, my parents had their own business. Um, my parents' friends tended to have their own business, so I could actually see what having your own business was all about and what it looked like. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was early days, really, where I thought I didn't really want to be employed in order to do something for myself. So, yes. And how about you, Neil? Were you itching when you were in education to get out and start something for yourself? I knew when I wanted to stay in education, um, I left school at 16 and uh, it actually went on to a, an apprenticeship. Um, but it wasn't really till the age of 32 where the thought crossed my mind that actually I could do, do this myself. The kind of, uh, sort, of a, a, a sort of ray of sunshine came out and went, I can do this. And uh, that kind of set us on the road of going down to do that, yes. What do you think it was that? Made the sun come out for you. A very bad day. <laughs> <laughs> a very bad, dirty, horrible day. And I went, there's more to life than this. And uh, I then just looked for opportunities and an opportunity arose about six months later. And I grabbed it with both hands and, and ran with us. And uh, here we were 20 years later on the other side of the hump, um, which has been a great journey. So do you think when you were... In education, under the age of 16, or when you were starting your apprenticeship, did you know at that point that you would really prefer to do something for yourself? Never, crossed, did my mind. That- Never crossed my mind. I was so focused on just uh, getting into an apprenticeship with engineering. Um, it wasn't even sort of a discussed topic uh, at the age of 16 to, to be an entrepreneur, um, certainly not in the environment I was in. Um, so it wasn't something that actually dawned on us until the age of 32. So quite different to Paul, who had parents and family friends as role models. Yeah. So he could see, you could obviously see that was an opportunity of something that you'd be attracted to. And how about yourself, Ruth? Did you have role models around you mm-hmm. when you were younger? Definitely. And I think similar to Paul, my, my parents um, had built their own business from scratch, right from, you know, making money buying a, a, a bad old house that they did up to then put money into a day before cheese and ham counters were a, a thing in a supermarket. So they had 
really yeah it was great and like to me that's that's super entrepreneurial so I had a lot of inspiration from them really um and just seeing what it was to work for yourself and so I was I, th- I think I always had that in the back of the my, my mind I actually wanted to be a musician when I was younger so I, I wasn't really thinking about business if I'm honest. <laughs> and, um, and what, what would can I ask what would you want to play in various bits and things but um yeah so I was more on the cre- on that creative path but um I just wasn't talented enough that's why I ended up doing the things you know but um but yeah so so for me I had those role mo- models definitely and um you know I went I did sort of cultural management stuff and that got me into more thinking about business and the commercial side of things and you know um all the stuff that I would do with my folks in my summer holidays and stuff helping them with their business and, and things like that I think just could sort of laid the foundations for sort of later sort of later on I think in that sense. And Ruth you started your business you told me six years ago. Yeah so going back to day one yes, of day that new business mm-hmm. tell us about what was day one like? Um, so I think I, again, similar to um, to, to Neil here, um, you know, I, I sort of had that bad day where I went, I'm I'm, I'm not very compliant. I think that's one of, <laughs> one of the things which can be great in an organisation, but can also annoy a lot of people. So I think I'd got to that stage where I was probably annoying people and needed to set up my own thing as well and and sort of go for it in that sense. And for, and for the first year, it was just me. So I say I set up a business. It was almost like I was a freelancer for the first year. Um, just testing the water really to see if it was if there was um, a market for it for what I was kind of offering. Sure. Um, but yeah, I had that bad day as well and just got sick of sort of dancing to other people's shoes at that point and not being sort of somehow in control of of my own income and what was coming in really. So mm-hmm. the next day you're in control. Are you go? Yeah. Oh no, what have I done? I it's a horrible first. Oh no, that the regrets. Yeah, definitely. And uh, but then also getting that first bit of money in your bank account yes. and going, oh my god, like someone just paid me something. That's that. What? No, that that can't be. Something's there's been a mistake, you know. And, you, and then you start to go, oh, maybe this could, you know, I could actually do this. It's not. It's not that embarrassed. It's not. You know, it's kind of similar risk to working for someone when they're making you redundant or they're selling off bits of the company and you know cutting swathes of the team in half and. You know, how is that any less risky to start in your own business anyway? So that was kind of the mindset I got into at that point anyway. And for you, Neil, when you made that leap, how, how did that feel? Day one was very strange. I remember that I was sat in a Windows office by myself for the phone and a computer, very old computer. <laughs> and it was my job within the group of three that was then in the company to bring in the work. So I had two guys out on the road who were, who were partners as well, and uh, they were relying on me to send them jobs to go and make some money. And if I didn't get the jobs through the door, they didn't make any money, and I didn't make any money. Either. So that's a different kind of pressure to being an employee. To being the employer, the, the tables change straight away. But however you do find that you're, you're in control, so you, you can make the decisions. And thankfully, the phone did start to ring, and the jobs did come in. So that was good. <laughs> and what what about day one for you then, Paul? Day one, I, I, it's exactly the same really as, as, as Neil and with Ruth's um, all emanated from a bad day at work. And uh, we had a, had a really brutal meeting down in London. And um, 
we just had, I was on the way back from London. It, it, it was horrible. It was one of these where they were all pointing in your face and really telling how bad you were and all this sort of stuff. And I was on the way back up from London. And I was phoned, I'd phoned Hazel, my wife, and, and just said, look, I'm done. About this, yeah. And by the time I got back, she said, well, let's sell the house and put the equity from the house in and we'll start our own. And it was like, wow. So really, our first day was starting with absolutely nothing because I'd given up a, a job with a good salary and bonus systems for a company car and everything. And we started with zero and no house because we'd sold the house to actually start the business. And the people that we were buying the house from withdrew on the day of sale. So we had, uh, we had to move into the in-laws house and they had to move out into a caravan and it was just, we had nothing, absolutely nothing. So there was literally me putting suit on, knocking on doors and saying, can I have an opportunity to clean your businesses, please? And then going back and putting a t-shirt and jeans on and going and cleaning them. And only when it got busy did I put one person in and two people in and three people in and that's how we grew. I'm just thinking, wouldn't you have loved to be on a fly on the wall on your in-laws' bedroom at that time? Imagine what they must have been saying about you and Hazel. It was awful. I mean, they, they actually moved out and a couple of days, well, a couple of, maybe a week or so afterwards, a, a father had a heart attack in a caravan on a farmer's field up the road. And then there's me and Hazel and three kids in their two-bedroom you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was daft. It was daft. But just, just like Neil, you know, you, you've just got to get on with it and you've got to wait for it to start rolling, really. And actually it does. And that, and, and like, when the first, you know, the first person pays you, oh my God, it's like, it must be worth something. They eh? were doing something, right? You know, but uh, yeah, it's some, some journey. And Ruth, for you, you, you spent the first year, as you said, freelancing. How did yeah. you then start to expand the business? Yeah, and I was sort of I was packaging it up as a business, I guess, still. So I didn't kind of set it up as as me being a freelancer, which it's just me. So I'm I'm trying to think back to now how I did that. But then because of some of the contacts I had in the business, they they were wanting that market and support. Um and and actually finding good market people who understood the technical side of things in digital infrastructure is quite tricky. So that was the kind of gap that I was able to sort of pull on a bit. And I would kind of go, yeah, we've got a roster of freelancers and, you know, all of this. Or just, like literally no one's just a couple of mates or someone that I trusted to, to help me on um, certain areas of it really. So it was a bit fake it until you make it really, I guess, in that sense. And, and actually taking that forward, we still have like freelancers and people that we use actually because it just makes business sense to pull in those different people at different points with different skill sets and also to manage the overheads in the business. So we kind of continued that, but definitely in the beginning, it was it was uh, that fake it till you make it, I think. And and then it just started to transition after we, you know, after I got one person to support, then we, you know, another contract came in, we needed another person with a certain skill set and it just rolled from there, I guess. Not sort of in a very niche and tidy way, I would say. It was definitely... Um, in a chaotic fashion in the first year or two, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like you cleaning them, putting your suit on, selling it, and then cleaning it. I mean, that's what I was doing. You know, you're selling it and then delivering it at the same time. There's no other way when you start. No. And I love that story, by the way. It's incredible. It's like you really, and that's what I love about entrepreneurs. Sorry, I know I'm digressing, but I do love that about entrepreneurs. And I think um, people who, who, who don't go into their own business forget that you know, sometimes they're like, oh, they're so lucky they're making so much money. It's like, well, no, you were cleaning, you were actually rolling your sleeves up, doing the dirty jobs as well as selling it and managing your finances and being HR and whatever else at the, the start, you know, before you actually started making money. And that if it can be a long time, a long journey for people before they reach that point. Yeah, it's true. Um, so it's yeah. almost, yeah. I can remember a quite a funny story, uh, probably on, on those lines of uh, 
got a phone call on Friday afternoon uh, from a company that wanted us to do a job in Edinburgh uh, over the weekend. And I remember putting the phone down, having a great deal of the job and thinking, right, who's going to do this job? Mm-hmm. That go home, get changed, get a bag, jump in the car, drive to Edinburgh, do <laughs> <laughs> the job Friday night, Saturday night, slept in the hotel Sunday morning and drove back. And then went back well, again on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So, but he didn't get the connection that the person that the smoke to on the phone was the same person that came and did the job. But I think sometimes when you're an entrepreneur and you can agree with this if you if you want to, it doesn't matter what stage the business at. You're always prepared to actually do the work. And I'm sure Paul, you would go and clean now if there was a crisis. You, you know, you still you still do. Still um, and everyone still is, and that's what's lovely about it. You're still willing to roll up your sleeves and get it done because it's your business and it's your passion. You have to. You've got to leave from the front, you know. And, I mean, you've, you've got to be – I would never, ever do or ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself, which often sometimes means, unfortunately, turning work down because I just go, I'm not doing that. I'm really not doing that. I mean, we do. We used to do a lot of pubs and clubs. Uh, going back to 2000, um, we actually cleaned the boat. On the day. Ah, well, that would have taken a lot of you. That dance floor was quite sticky. And that was yes, filthy. And we wouldn't put the heating on, and it was winter, and it, oh my goodness, it was awful. And um, and we, we just pulled out. We just said, look, we're not doing this anymore. It's just ridiculous. Did we have to clean the dance floor. This is what the sticky dance floor. At least to turn it off. Yeah. You have made a sort of uh, operational efficiency there. Just have it spinning with a class held. No one ever thought that. You got it done faster. They are. Absolutely. What is it? I mean, you've got now. You told me earlier, was it 450 staff, which is a huge number of people to manage. And one of the things that we've learned through the Entrepreneurs Forum is managing people is generally, actually not generally, it's always the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur because you have that responsibility, don't you, now for other people's livelihoods. You are essentially paying their mortgage and paying their lifestyle. But 450 people, Paul, that's an awful lot of responsibility. Did you? Does that weigh heavily on you? Yeah, it does. Um, it's, it's quite a bit of responsibility. You know, you, you, we've got to get the money in to be able to pay these people every month. And it, it is. It, it takes a lot of doing. Um, and we've done it all the way through without any HR. We've got no HR internal. So we've actually sort of contracted the HR. And um, and that's that's been a it's been a difficult thing to do. So we've we've, we've made the decisions ourselves, and we've we've done everything ourselves, and that's been a bit of a struggle as well. Um, which is the wrong thing to do. To be, <laughs> but again, you, you live and learn, don't you? But uh, yeah, it's difficult. So in terms of challenges that you've all faced throughout your careers so far, Ruth, what what's been your biggest challenge running your business? Um, I mean, staying on the thread of people, I think definitely, I mean, as a, as a as a service business, making sure that people are sort of committed to the business and feel like they've got that ownership of it a little bit as well in terms of then being an extension of you and how much you care about the business, that passion that they have, I think is, that's what, it, it's, it's always a challenge trying to make sure that everybody's on the same page with that. I mean, there's so many challenges, I think, with managing people. And um, I'm sure we'll just scratch the surface today because that, you know, that who are running your business at the end of the day, at some point you set back and, and you and you have to try and find that balance between not micromanaging <laughs> because that's like the death of motivation for most people yeah. when your manager's over your shoulder um, and not giving them the autonomy to do things, but also them 
and this is, I think, not talked about enough, really. It's it's them also building the trust with you in order to do that. And not everyone understands that. Um, so that communication piece, I think, is is really, again, tricky uh, to manage over communication, not enough communication, individual communication, wider company communication, who knows what. At what points, you know, you, you almost become an internal PR manager, you know, at certain um, stages. I'm sh- and I'm, <laughs> I can see you guys nodding, and and that in itself, again, it's all the different layers of co- like things that you've got to consider. People that how how they're going to take this information. What if they find out that this is a closed group that of information? What does the how what's that the wider objects for that? So for me, that's that's always difficult, and then. Just looking after them, right? You know that responsibility that you, that you talk about there, Paul. You know that building responsibility, and, you, and and I do have those moments where I go, God, and we're only, we're only like fifteen people, we're tiny compared to you. But I do have those moments where I forget it's not just me anymore in the business, and I go, Oh my God, these people, they've got their mortgages and their mm-hmm. kids to look after. Um, you know, and and you then you kind of worry, then you start looking at your pipeline of business, going, Can we cover it all? Um, and then I think it's getting more complicated. Employment managed, like employment law, HR. We just actually brought in some outsourced HR as well um, before we would consider bringing in something more substantial, I guess. But, um, you know, there's lots of things with um, their well-being and their health and how they um, and their expectations on all of that as well, I think, are, are quite high now as well. So you've got to kind of keep up from just a, a sort of being competitive in the employment market. So making sure that you've got these packages of benefits and making sure that you you, you're being, you are an employer that um, is seen to, to care about everyone's well-being and has the um, the personal development, professional development sort of plans in place. Quite a lot to manage. I, I mean, I can't I can't imagine how you're doing it as well, Paul. You've done forward and breaking stuff, you know. It's hard. Um, you've got to, I suppose you've got to employ people who've got the right attitude and character, yeah. first of all. And then you've got to try and make sure that they live to your core values. So, you know, you've got your honesty and the integrity and the teamwork and the trustfulness, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And you've just got to you've got to push it at every single stage. And every single meeting that we have for going, you know, are we recruiting people based on the core values? Are we actually getting people go because they're not coming to our core values? You know, are we onboarding the right type of customers who want to work with us as a partnership? If not, do we want them? You know, yeah. and these are the sort of discussions you've got to have. And if you have them, then people tend to buy in. So, Paul, on core values, because we've done a lot of work within the forum about members identifying their core values and reviewing their core values. You've mentioned values there. Do you have published core values that you work as, as a business and communicate? How does that work in your organisation? Just getting the message across all of the time, whether it's through social media, whether it's internally through, you know, through the toolbox talks that we've got, that we're just reiterating all the time. You know, you have to be reliable. You have to have integrity. You know, if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. If you can't do it, you need to communicate it. So, you know, it's all about this all of the time. And it's just, you know, the managers that I've got, thankfully, are excellent. You know, so I've really got, I'm very lucky. I've got good people working for me who have bought into exactly what we're trying to do. So it's get, it, it gets filtered. I'm not going to say it gets filtered down. It gets filtered up because of the way that we always look at it within our businesses is, is it's a, a pyramid. 
but it's an upside down pyramid. So the pointy bits at the bottom, that's where I am. The cleaning teams are at the top, so that's the big line at the top, and we're just supporting them. So we're just constantly. Just oh, we trying. quite like that—an upside-down pyramid, whereas you were like holding people up, yeah. aren't you? And yeah, they're massive team. You know, yeah, so yeah, I support my my general manager and my his my wife who looks after the administration side and the sales teams, and now looking after the next la- layers up, and then you get to the the people who are actually doing the business, um, and there's a lot of them. You know, so you've got to look after them, right? Yeah. And it's all about all that. So it's, it's kind of like having an army, isn't it? You've got our best generals in the world, but if you haven't got your soldiers, yeah. it's a waste of time. And then that's, that's the challenge that we found in the last, probably the last four years, the biggest challenge to, to the business was always recruitment because there's a skills gap and it's a really worrying skills gap. And it's been in place for about 10 years. And we used to be really good at dealing with that. We used to do homegrown apprenticeships. So probably for the last 20 years, we'll probably produce 20, 30 engineers through apprenticeships. But that seems to have dwindled. The kids these days aren't interested in it. Certainly not engineering because it's not seen as a glamorous trade anymore. It's not It's not uh, Hollywood, you know. And that's my biggest worry moving forward for, for all of the trades that are related to engineering that the kids aren't coming into it at the age 16. And the ones that do come in, they tend to drop out of it within 12 to 24 months. And so what would you say to any budding entrepreneurs or other engineering businesses that are listening to this who are wanting and struggling with that issue? What advice would you give them? I would certainly see it recruit apprentices where you can and uh, make sure you nurture them, make sure you get them to college or university or whatever, whichever way you want to train them and get them to buy any core values from day one. I think... The tide's slightly changed with, with kids these days. Schools are trying to push T-levels and things like that. So they're kind of being t- taken away from the apprenticeship route at, at school age and they're coming into it a lot later. You tend to find that people all go missing between the age of 16 and 20 and then they'll have an epiphany at 20 and realise that they actually wanted to start an apprenticeship at 20, which holds all kinds of difficulties from a from a peer level, because obviously you only pay apprentices, apprentice wages, and then there's minimum wage comes in. There's all kinds of complications that, that come in that weren't there 10 years ago, and it is actually a real worry. And I don't know the answer. <laughs> oh, no. Well, maybe it's, it's, it's more at a national level that that um, strategy Absolutely. needs to be addressed. I feel like that's been a problem for a long time. It has. Well, I mean, I'm, go- I'm going back to working at an agency that I worked at when I was like 23, 24, and we were working, I think, with One Northeast to develop engineering programs yes. and, and market those, which is crazy. And it's such a good, like, engineering so broad as well. Um, and I know it's a problem from a sort of technology point of view. So we work with lots of digital infrastructure companies, and there they struggle with engineers as well from a network and new perspective coming through the ranks. Yeah. Um, I tend to find it's a problem from, from school level. Um, I think the, the opportunities on given the kids age 14, 15, and they don't understand the opportunities that exist. So by the time they do leave school, they're, they're off in one direction or another yeah. and, and miss that opportunity. I mean, that started at age 16 in 1988 on a YBS. You know, £29.50 a week, you know. Uh, God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get £29.50 an hour now. You know, you're complaining. But, yeah, it's, um, it's, you, have to start, you have to start day one, and that's the problem everybody wants it. Today, mm. the one, the one year four today, not only year four. So, do you think entrepreneurs have a responsibility to go into schools and promote yes absolutely. career opportunities and tell it as it is, rather than from an academic point of view? Have you have you 
I'll ask each of you, well, I'll ask Paul because he's nodding and I do know that you've been into schools because we've had this conversation yeah. before. Yeah, um, do you go into, I know, he did go and talk to my daughter. So that's, thank you for that. She was very inspired. Um, you've obviously been into schools. Um, do you get enjoyment out of that? Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to say, but the, the kids that I've seen, the kids that I've done the interviews with, the kids that we've done the presentations to and things like that, most of them haven't got a clue what they want to do. Um, and to be, to be honest, I haven't really been guided. But when you talk to them on a one-to-one -one basis, they've got ideas what they want to do. You know, the people, people they want to be dealing with people, they want to do this, they want to do that. They want to study, they want to, you know, something, you know, I want to go into something where I'm helping people. And so you can actually guide them. But I don't know about the amount of help that they're actually getting. Um, and when you talk to them, you can actually start pulling all sorts of things out. We've actually got somebody from Dame Allen's who's coming to our business next month um, for, uh, I think, what's it called? Work experience. Work experience. So he's coming in for about three days just to understand how a business works. So we do anything we can to help the people, you know, the, the, the kids these days. But uh, I would definitely recommend if people out there are not doing it, you get in, involved. I think it's Founders for Schools, I think. One yeah, there's an organisation, an absolutely brilliant organisation called Founders for Schools, and you can look them up. They've got a website if you just Google Founders for Schools, and their job is to match essentially entrepreneurs with opportunities in schools to go and give talks, whether that's at assemblies or meet kids on a one-to-one -one basis, and that's a great place to yeah. to start. Fantastic. Um, Ruth and Neil, have you been into schools to try and address this have you ever been asked yeah i've been in, well i've been into in, into the universities a little bit and i've done talks but not into the not at the school level yet and i guess for us it's we're not we don't have like engineering roles we've got digital marketing content strategy those are the kinds of roles that we have and actually we we struggle to recruit in different areas in that as well in the region i must say um getting good people at those different levels and can be a struggle. We, we tend to start widening the net a little bit just to get more candidates to apply. So I, I think, it, I don't know if it's just engineering, actually. I think we, there's a, there is a bit of a, a sort of weird in, uh, thing in the market at the moment where the, that talent, I don't know where I'm just missing it, but it just doesn't feel like it's coming through to us at least. Um, so I find that, I do find that challenging in the region and we do broaden the, the net a bit. Um, or maybe it's a different type of education. Maybe it's a, and there's this thing in China at the moment where the government are having to do some kind of campaign to lower people's expectations <laughs> as they come out of these very expensive degrees that they've, that they've done. And you can totally understand that. I mean, they've spent, you know, all this money and they want to walk into a job that's at, you know, minimum 30, 40K or whatever, but it's just not realistic and jobs aren't there. Um, and you need to sort of any stripes really. So I, I don't know whether there's other types of education around that that need to happen. I I feel with the, the generations coming through, or maybe I just sound like old. <laughs> I think it's bridging that gap, isn't it, between sitting behind a desk at school and actually knowing what jobs there are out there. I just think yeah. young yeah. people don't necessarily know what's out there. No, I, know. Know. I didn't have a J when I was at school. I wanted to be, like I said earlier, I wanted to be a physician. And I think I just got some eye rolls when I said that, which is fair enough. You know? <laughs> but it, I, it's interesting because a few of the other guests we've had on, they've started their entrepreneurial journey in the playground. Mm -hmm. So it's almost you need to set that seed mm -hmm. early on and people think, actually, I could do that. Mm -hmm. And maybe not wait until yeah. they're 30 or 40. 
a genuine gap in education where I think the kids need to have some sort of what I'd say basic life skills. So understand things like uh, profit and loss, understand how they manage a bank account, understand how a credit card works, understand how a mortgage works. And I think that's far more valuable than some of the lessons, unfortunately, that are actually given. Well, I'm not here to criticise the education system. No, I guess we could, we could only act as role models and share Absolutely. our experience. And if that helps the next generation, then that's fantastic. So with the challenges that you've all faced in your businesses, and Paul, you've mentioned that you're working with your wife, so I can imagine that you've got someone to turn to. But generally, where, where do you go to for, for support? Because it can sometimes be quite a lonely experience when you're managing your own business. It is. Luckily, I've got a business coach. I've got a guy called Tony Hudson, who I've had probably now for about three years. Um, and that's one of my biggest regrets. I never got one earlier. Um, because it's, it's difficult to know where to go. I mean, you know, if I go pull on a Friday night and start talking about how difficult it is pulling the cash in and, and, and how difficult it's been dealing with a particular customer. My friends glaze over. So you, you need to know, you need to, you need to sort of mix. This is where entrepreneurs forum does come in really well because obviously you, you get contacts and make friends and stuff here. Um, and that's, and that's invaluable. It really is invaluable. I mean, going back to when, um, Neil and I sort of started sort of 20, 20 plus years ago, there wasn't really very many places to go. And to speak to people, and that's that's changed substantially now. I mean, you know, I, I, I met um, Ruth at uh, the chairman's dinner. I was like, "Well, I had a good chat." I think it was at one of my first events. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So, you know, get, getting to know people and just having a chat about, you know, what business is about and the, the challenges that you have, you do need someone to go to. Um, and I would definitely recommend if people don't have a business coach out there that you make some sort of inroads in that direction. What, what does a business coach bring for you personally? Challenging. The challenge in the right way. So, I mean, it's not just about you going and saying, I've got a problem, can you help me with it? It's a case of going to them and saying, look, we're thinking about doing a particular thing and, and the, the challenge you want it. And they just say, so why? Why are you thinking about this? And what would, what will it look like if it works? And what will it look like if it doesn't? And, and how much is it going to cost you? And are you sure? And is it worth it? And, you know, looking at your books, you know, you're not making an awful lot of profit at the moment. How will it affect that? Is it going to make it better? Are you going to employ more staff? What, you know, what gaps are you going to fill? And they, they actually, my, it's always very, very good, actually. You'll actually go and have a look at it, and you always point at the thing that you don't want to point at. Well, you probably <laughs> knew that was the thing, don't you? Yeah, he's so, not going to see it. So he's doing a good job. Take me through this here. It's like, oh, do I have to? It's like, oh, here we go. So, yeah, but I think it's really important that you get somebody who can you not only can talk to, and even becomes a friend, because Tony's a friend now, but can challenge you and ask the, the questions that perhaps my wife won't ask me. And how did you find Tony? Because sometimes it's quite hard to find the right person that will fit with you, that you can gel with and will challenge you in the way you want to be challenged. I spoke to a number of people and asked them for recommendations and who they actually dealt with. And it just so happens that um, one of our clients going back a bit was the Newcastle Building Society. Before that, there was Universal. And Tony was actually on the board there. I also knew people who were involved in Rint Entities. And he was, I think he was one of the executives on there as well. So I just sort of phoned him. I sent him an email first, actually, and just said, look, I know you're doing coaching. Do you want to have a cup of coffee? And he said, yeah. And it just went from there, really. And I'd spoken to one or two others as well, a couple of board members as well. Um, but I just felt it was right. It, you know, the, the, the chemistry was right. Um, I felt really comfortable um, and but challenged. <laughs> and it just sort of worked from there. And Neil, did you have 
who did you go to for help us? You said you set up the business, so there was three of yes, you. I mean, well, I was quite lucky that in the early days I did have uh, a couple of business partners that were cool up, you know, bounce off each other. Uh, John being a, a little bit older than us, so we kind of looked up John as a bit of a father figure and, and, and took, took his advice. And then obviously when there was only two of us, it, it became a little bit sort of harder because myself and Paul were of a similar age. So we had to kind of respect each other's boundaries. But I have to say that, you know, coming to entrepreneur events, round tables and listening to everybody else's take on things really helps. Also speaking to other business owners, not even necessarily in the same industry, but you know, in general, you can get their take on things and, and kind of not only understand how to do it the right way, but how not to do it the wrong way. That that why question's a, a, a great question because you start to then self-doubt yourself and you have to ask yourself the question why. Then most of the time you'll come out and go, actually, yeah, it's a really bad idea. <laughs> uh, occasionally you will go, actually, that was a good idea. But to ask yourself the question why in the first place is very important. Yeah, so I guess you're saying don't make those big decisions. You don't need to make them all by yourself. Absolutely. There's tons of people in the region you can lean on. Yes. So get out there and find other business owners and they'll give you a perspective. Yes. Um, and that might steer you in a different direction, but either way, it'll be helpful. And always listen to your family as well. You know, I've got a great partner of uh, over 30 years and uh, if ever I'm in doubt, I'll, I'll ask Wendy and she will say, uh, that, that's really silly, don't do that. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, that's probably the one person that do us and do what's And what about for you, Ruth, running your business? Who do you turn to? I think, so I actually have um, a few friends in the industry as well um, who I've asked a couple of mentors there as well who I've got one in particular who runs a PR agency in the States in that space. So I, I, I have sort of lent on her quite a bit as well. And just that on it's that honesty, like you said, um, I think both of you said it, someone just kind of challenged. It's a bit like therapy, isn't it? It's like getting you to reflect <laughs> on, on that next move or, or something that you can't quite figure out um, on your own. And actually... I have got a lot to thank in Seam as well because, you know, I had a couple of people come in at the beginning who are still with the business and I would bounce a lot off them as well. So even though they're not partners or founders, you know, they've put a lot into the business um, and they're very good to to sort of sanitate check things with as well. So, yeah, the team's been actually, even though at some point you need to step back from the team to do the best for them in certain ways or make decisions on behalf of the team, there are a lot of people within the team as well that I kind of throw stuff around. And that's, I guess that's my own management style in the sense that I quite like to involve them, share the burden, give them some of the yes. <laughs> what do you think? So I don't have to make the decision. But um, but yeah, no, I've, I've got some good friends. I had one friend as well who basically told me to bite down one year and just get on with it because I was having a whinge about how much money I was bringing in because I used to be a high earner and then I was like, I'm nothing. Yeah. And so I just shut up and get on with it, you know. And actually... I didn't take a sense because I was like, first of all, he was a friend that could say that to me and I was listening. But um, but yeah, just sometimes you need that, I think. Just so I go, just give you a bit of a verbal slap and go, just get on with it. Someone external to the business yeah, often useful. Like, you know, you're in that negative that sort of thought pattern, you need to get out of it. Um, and I've got another friend who also just gives me good, just life wisdom. He's been through a lot and... Um, you know, he's uh, you wouldn't think it looking at him, and and the way he talks, he's probably Jordan and stuff. But he's just got great, great bits of wisdom for me, and and I apply that probably to everything actually. Um, even if we're not talking directly about about the business, um, but you've got to find people who understand as well. And that's actually what, what I'm getting from entrepreneurs forum now, from the the few events I've been to um, so far, um, because you can, you can see people just happy to talk about it. 
and they understand like that you know you can talk to people day to day down the down the pub like you say um paul but they just don't they glaze over because they can't they can't understand unless they're in it running their own business they don't get it so they just can't have that sort of real input at that point and you're just going to bore them to death anyway so <laughs> well i think we're really lucky in the entrepreneurs forum because everybody at the events is a business yeah. owner yeah yeah of a similar size some of them will be bigger than you some of them might be smaller than you but they all share that understanding of what it's like to have taken that leap into entrepreneurship. Um, and one of the things that we always say to people is, um, and it's a quote from Sir Tim Smith from the Eden Project, and he said, take the time to meet people you didn't know you needed to meet. And I love that because it's it's spot on. And it's yeah. saying through the net out wide and to see who's out there and who might be able to help you. And we're blessed in the Northeast. People do want to help. And, you know, I find in my role, if I ask for help, no one ever says no. They say, what can I do to help you? And you'll all find that in your business. So yeah. anyone listening to this? who's stuck in challenges, just ask for help. There will be somebody out there who's willing to lend a hand. I've actually probably found it's the opposite. Instead of, instead of putting in no, they actually call above and beyond <laughs> to help to the point where I really think this guy's giving us far too much of his time. It's a great family to be in, to be honest, on a nice forum because there is somebody who can help you with most problems. Well, I'll ever say, Neil, when you sold your business, you came to see us and said, now I've sold my business, I have a bit more time and I'm ready to give back because I've yes. got 20 years of experience. How can you use my knowledge and skills to help others? And you've been really helpful so far, so thank you. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think there is... It is important, and I might sound a bit of a cliche, but I think it is important to keep that wheel going to so give a little bit back. That's why I got involved with the college as well, because I, I really want to see people um, getting into like, apprenticeships and things like that and just passing knowledge down the, down the tree, so to speak. And how much experience are you, are you yeah. giving away now? It's fantastic. And how did you feel, Neil, when you exited the business? Was it a bit like giving up a child? <laughs> Well, you can ask my daughter that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, um, uh, because I had six months to kind of prepare for it, it was like almost like a six months exit. I kind of almost worked myself out of the day-to-day run, so to speak. So by the time D-Day came, I was at a point where I could just sort of turn the computer off and go, see you later, and not have that kind of worry of having to come back in two weeks' time as you would if you were going on holiday and thinking, well, what's going to be there for us when I come back? Because I knew at that point I'd hopefully given everybody everything that they needed in order just to carry on. My phone's still on. I just ran away. It's probably somebody asking us a question and I, I'm still on email and things like that. So the, the transition's going to be over the next 12 months where I will finally sort of uh, cut ties in, in, in the end of March next year. But yeah, very strange feeling because literally from the age of 16 to the age of 51, day in, day out, I've been to work. So it's a long holiday at the moment. <laughs> Sounds very nice. You, you've deserved it. So let's talk a little bit about inspiration and where you go to for inspiration. Is there any, within the Northeast, any particular entrepreneur or business that is catching your attention or that you've admired over the years? Yes. Um, over the years, absolutely. I mean, when I came into the Entrepreneurs Forum, uh, about 2005, 2006, people like Sir Peter Barney was in there, uh, Laura Malai was in there, Nigel Mills was in there. And these were people with huge businesses when he first started. They go, you know, we didn't have an awful lot, but we were doing an awful lot. And these people would actually come and talk to you. I mean, even now, um, you know, if, I, if I'm at an event and Sir Peter's there, I'll pull across and say, hi, Paul, you think, how the heck do you even 
remember me. You know, it's it's incredible. So yeah, so going back, there was all these big big names and and, and big numbers of people and and, and huge um, invoices and, and stuff and all the rest of it. And you just got blown away by that. They were incredible people. Um, these days, it's more the people who are actually in the forum. I mean, you know, you've got people like Jess Williams now. Jess. She came to see me um, about eight years ago when she was setting up a business and said, look, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And I said, it's going to be hard. And and I saw Jess at the, at the Entrepreneurs Forum a couple of weeks ago. She's done incredibly well. I mean, you know, she's morphed the business now from, from, from um, you know, something really, really an idea to holding conferences. I mean, I went to a, a conference a couple of weeks ago where she had sales, service and success in, in Durham. It was one of the best conferences I've ever been on. It's hosted by Alfie Joey, um, and it was incredible, and it was engaging all the way through. Her staff were brilliant, you know, and you just think, wow, how many you come such a long way? And these people are inspirational, you know. And then you get Joe Feely. Now, Joe Feely started with me in the Entrepreneurs Forum, and we actually did the business on the first foot with the Entrepreneurs Forum with um, Andy Hanselman going back, I think it was about 2009, which is essentially a programme, wasn't it, yes. for, for new startups exactly. in the region? One, and we, we were on that, and I was on there with Joe um, and Joanna. And, and Joanna's now what, Entrepreneur of the Year. She's got a global brand. Um, she's got, she's just doing unbelievably well. And she's brought up a family in that time. You know, just uh, incredible, absolutely incredible, just like Ruth, you know. To the, the people we see them coming through and progressing and doing so well, but that's not, that's way too kind. I think she's ah oh, honestly, and, and you just it's inspiring just to see these people doing so well, and it's it's great, it's, it's wonderful to see them doing so well. And how about Neil, who who um, inspires you? And that could be within the form, or it could yes. be globally. Really, there is no limit. I have to say, I, I'm quite inspired by the people who've who've done really well. Uh, and gave them a lot back. Um, the likes of Graham Wiley, who who did really well and then exited the business and then set up his foundation. Um, people like Bob Murray, who did uh, the foundation of light. Um, but even people who are obviously very recent guest speaker, like Jeff Thompson, who had made his money, but then massively given it back to South Shields Football Club. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's battled adversity and things like that, and obviously uh, health as well, and, and continues to give back into the community. So people like that who, who, who sort of gone as far as they could go or wanted to go and then start to give back. So it's an admiration, I guess, for using your success absolutely. to do something yeah. absolutely wonderful for the community yeah. that you live in. That would be the easiest thing in the world for them just to just to walk away, you know, go on holiday, fly to Barbados and forget about the North East. But these people have, have, have given it back. I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the charities I'm involved in, Grace House, was set up by Cathy Second, who was trying to shoot, she retired, she, she put a lot of effort into getting the money raised to build Grace House. And uh, thankfully, saw it saw it through to being built, and obviously the, the work continue now by the the board of trustees and, and the current CEO. So that's it's fantastic to see it all going full circle. And you're doing that yourself because you've told me you are on the board of trustees of a, a couple of really yes. really good charities uh, in the northeast. So yes. you're giving you you've been inspired by others, mm-hmm. and now it's your time to do that yeah, yourself. It, I think even if it's just in time, you're giving the gift of time back to people, it's massive. But, you know, some of these people have given millions and millions of pounds as well, which is, you know, it's, it's very, very admirable. And Ruth, you are from a tech background. Are there 
Yeah, are you inspired by tech entrepreneurs? Because there's so many fantastic people globally that you could look up to. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, you guys are very active in the region and have been for many years. And um, and I'm kind of just getting back into that, which is part of why I've joined Entrepreneurs, the Entrepreneurs Forum. Because, I, you know, I really, I really love the place that I'm from. I love the Northeast. And, you know, when I hear these, you guys talking about what you're, what you're doing in the region, the graph that you do, you know, and that's the culture in the Northeast where we might have these little issues of like trying to get talent here and there and recruitment, whatever. You know, what I do love about the Northeast and I find inspiring as a whole, actually, with all the, the entrepreneurs in, in the region is that sort of like hard work ethic. You know, we've always had it, right? And it's just, it continues, it, it still continues. And I think from that, entrepreneurial sort of spirit comes from that as well. So there's lots of people in the region. I think in it, from a tech from a tech perspective, though, I mean, it's great in the region you know i was just reading on business cloud the top 50 tech businesses in the northeast the other day partner eyes is at the top there that was that used to be buyer who i think gave me my first job in affiliate marketing after um after university and they you know pete cheney was the technical guy there he's gone to do bottle pay and all sorts he's investing loads of cash in all sorts of things now he's just a, a bit of a technical genius in that sense and so I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of looking at what he's doing just out of interest from when i used to work at buyout briefly as well and um, but the founders of that did amazing partnerized i think was number one on this list and they're they're, they're global now they've got an office in san francisco and it's homegrown in the, in the northeast yeah offices in san francisco tokyo Singapore, they're all over now, and we're, and some of our clients are actually now working with them. So we've, it's like we've come full circle. I've come full circle. Really, it's it's kind of strange because there's um, a couple of companies that want our biggest client, who's based in Singapore and Australia, have now done a partnership with them in in Newcastle. And Newcastle seems to be on the map. Weirdly, I'm there. It's not just Manchester. Um, outside of London, from a tech perspective in the UK, so it's there if we want to go for it. Um, and I'm kind of excited. I know everyone talks about the tech sector and digital ecosystem, things like that um, in the Northeast. But from from my perspective, I know that it's there and just need to kind of get it to that next level. There's so many businesses that are um, trying to to get there. I mean, Zero Light as well. Zero Light are amazing. Um, bank, all of these, they're all disruptors as well. I mean, that's what a lot of tech companies are trying to do. But these, they are actually doing it. It's it's really kind of interesting to watch what they're doing, what, they're, what their next moves are going to be. I think it's a really exciting time in tech for the Northeast. Totally. Yeah, yeah, there really is. Um and we're not actually we're not actually working with a lot of companies in the region because we, we started as a vertical play. So we um you know, digital infrastructure is everywhere. So we we do work with companies all over the place because they want us for the vertical expertise. Um we don't compete compete with other agencies in the region really, but there's there's a lot of business here that we could be supporting as well. Um hadn't really looked at before because I was like, oh, it's northeast of our much in terms of tech. It's got loads, <laughs> loads of stuff. It's great. And you've all successfully built your businesses in the northeast and hopefully we've got some budding entrepreneurs in our audience. So what would be your number one piece of advice to anyone who's thinking about starting out, out on their own journey? I'm going to ask Paul first. Begin on the, okay. Um, if somebody's starting up, what I'd, what I'd say is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. We, we're a commercial contract cleaning company. We're not the first commercial contract cleaning company. We'll certainly not be the last, but we have to be different. And I think if you're thinking more about, um, Steve, 
uh, what was his name? It was Brailsford, wasn't it? It was the, the Sky. Dave Brailsford, the cycling guy. Yeah. And he, and he used to talk about marginal gains, didn't he? 1% yes. of everything. Just make yourself 1% better. They, they were talking about the massage gel. Yeah. 1% they changed the paint, didn't they, on the bikes to make yeah. it slightly lighter? Yeah. And the helmets have any more air diameter. They even talked about the pillows in the hotels so that the, the athletes got a better night's sleep. You know, 1% of everything. And you just have to get a little bit better or be a little bit different. And you don't have to start a business on your own. You could buy a business these days. You know, I'm, I'm inundated with emails from people saying, do you want to buy another business? And do, yeah, all the time. So you don't have to start from scratch. You can actually invest and buy something. Um, so there's, there, there are a lot of options out there for people. But, you know, the advice would be, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Find something that you love, that you understand. Um, and then just do marginal gains. Sound advice. I would say probably the best advice a kid would be always have a plan and always have a plan B because you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I would say probably in the last 20 years, plan B's had a kick in a couple of times. Uh, 2008, the crash, plan B. Uh, COVID, plan B. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, probably plan C as well. Yeah. Um, and don't sort of... Um, don't, don't misjudge how much effort you have to put in to make it succeed. Don't think you can just start a business and it's just all going to be rosy. It will be hard work. And you've got to make sure that you're prepared to put the effort in. Because if you're not prepared to put the effort in, it won't work. I think the grey hairs at the end of this table are testing him out later. Absolutely. And Bruce, any budding ad advice for budding entrepreneurs? I think, um, so the don't procrastinate and just go for it. Don't try and find this miracle gap in the market. I think is great advice actually, because you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And I'm totally, I could go on about the 1% with people in my business all the time that probably bored to death of, of that as well and kill them with kindness. That's my regret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Parrot saying that they just probably roll their eyes at. But for me, it's one of the things that I had to learn quite quickly. And I think women do suffer from this a lot more actually um, in business in general. It's trying not to say yes to everything, trying to actually, not all business is good business is a, is a great a bit of advice that I learned the hard way, I think. And, you know, try not to, it, when you're invested in your business, it's very difficult to separate yourself from your business. If you are putting all of that effort in where you're saying, you know, you know, it is hard work and you do have, you can't underestimate it, which means you are, it is blood, sweat and tears um, and you, and your money from your house and, and everything else. And so separating yourself from your business and not taking things so personally is, was one of the things that I struggled with in the first few years. And my life is the way that I feel about things and how I, walk through a day is so much easier now that I don't take things quite as personal. I mean, you know, it's um it's not hundred I'm not hundred percent perfect with that. Um, depending on how tired I am that day or whatever. But generally my I know my day is going to be much easier if I can just get that perspective and objectively look at things um without sort of taking things personally, I think is a really good bit of advice that I would like to have had at the beginning. I might not have listened to it at the beginning line, so you've got to be ready to listen to it. I have to say that uh, not all businesses, good businesses also are. It's a, mm. it's a great point because literally you can't actually find yourself, you've just been a busy fool. If an opportunity is sometimes too good to be true, it's too good to be true. You've got to really look at opportunities and think to yourself, what's going to be the outcome of this? And if you've got to put a lot of effort in for not a lot of reward, there's probably something else that you can do which is going to be more substantial. And by the way, I got that bit of advice from that mentor I mentioned in America. So 
you know, um, that's again the um, positives from having a, a coach or a mentor because they will give you those little nuggets. Yeah. We did actually fall that trap for a lot of years. Originally, we did actually do a lot of work, but not a lot of reward. You do say yes in the beginning, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, keep the lights on, get the money here, and then you're like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you just, yeah, you, also, you, you need revenue. And, yeah. And you need to be able to have some sort of name so you can refer and tell people, you know, we're already dealing with X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. to get any sort of credibility that you've actually triggered. Yeah, to get the case studies in, the logos, whatever, and the, the referrals. And I think the, that's quite a difficult one to hang on to as well in a crisis, in something like COVID or whatever, when you start to panic. Um to sort of be true to those um, those good bits of advice is also quite challenging, but it does pay off, I think. Yeah. yeah. Good advice there. Thank you. So it's not easy. It's hard work. Listen to other people. And not all business is good Humility business. Is a, is a good one. Excellent. Well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. And I know you've all listened to previous episodes, so you might be anticipating this final question. And this is when we forward wind the clock to your 70th birthday. And we've done that because we know that entrepreneurs don't really retire. It's a lifestyle and it's a vacation and you just keep going. So imagine that you're at your 70th. Oh, really? It's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's just got on his lady holiday. <laughs> well, Neil's answer might be not another holiday. Um, so you're at your 70th birthday. You're surrounded by your friends and your colleagues and all the people that have been important in your life to date. What's the gossip going to be saying around the kitchen at the drinks table at that party? Yeah, no. Dear me. Well, hopefully the business is still going. Uh, so we're talking what we're talking now, 10 years away. So I'm getting absolutely this year. So we're talking about 10 years away. So hopefully the business is still going. Hopefully my son has come into the business and is doing really well. And we've moved into something slightly different. Well, it'd be in a different area, different region or something like that. Um, hopefully I'm not working as hard as I could the farm weeks because it's just, the hours are just incredibly busy. That's all my fault. Then it's my doing. But uh, um, I, I just hope that people are saying good things about the business, that we've we've given back a lot, we've helped a lot. We've put a lot of people on track to for their careers to do really, really well. That's the thing that makes me get out of bed in the morning these days to, to see people progress and to see people develop um, and be the best people that they can be in business. Um, and I just hope that people say that we've, we've done well, we've done nice, we've done good things. I have a feeling they might well be saying that, Paul. Uh, and Neil? Well, hopefully uh, the, the business that we did build will still be there in the background uh, and still trading away. And uh, the guys who just started are in probably in year one when I've left will be in year 21, <laughs> well, on 70. Yeah. Um, and I just hope people could could look back and say that I inspired them to do something, uh, whether it be at the back of this podcast or whether it be on the back of something I've done with the college or something on the back I've done with the school. If I would just think that I'd help one person do something to help them succeed, I'd be very happy with that. That would be great if they come to your party and say, you are the reason well, started my business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to I have to agree, and I haven't got the tenure that you guys have, but I think it's, um, for me, it is, you know, helping helping those individuals on that on that course. For me, starting a business was gaining my own freedom with things as well, to an extent, not necessarily in time, but <laughs> with time management. And, you know, being able to do cooler things like we're in the tech actually for me it's wanting to get to that you know what what else are we going to do you know that's I'm probably still in that stage now where I'm like great we've done this bit 
where's the next where's the next milestone um you know are we getting more offices globally we're going to do this you know expand the team what's this partnership going to bring was i'm still very much in that frame of mind now so thinking up to when i'm 70s um i'm struggling a little bit on that one i'm gonna say but um but yeah hopefully some of that as well you know i really want people to felt like they've contribute to the business and there's some key people that definitely will i hope um be with with that all the way who are almost you know running along parallel with me now who are just doing fantastic things i love seeing them grow they're amazing um and it is that's the stuff that really makes you content in what you do i think um not just your own whatever whatever your gains are from it all um so that would be that would be similar really kind of just repeating you guys but i agree with it completely Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your contributions and your honesty. And I'm really impressed with all three of you in the fact you put, it sounds to me like you put others ahead of yourselves and and that's, and that's really commendable and it's inspiring to others listening. So thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs.